Amen. Thank you, Lila Kate. And thank you, worship team. We have a fun passage today. And uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting. I love it when, and this happens often, when I open up commentaries and I study and I read and you, you read kind of the first few sentences of a commentary and it says, this is one of the most challenging chapters in all of Ecclesiastes. I love that. Uh, because it, if someone, you know, you get excited when there's challenges, that's me. I, I love that. And uh, so all the resources that I, that I have and all the, the resources that I've, I've been pulling from and studying and learning from, some of them like totally even skip this chapter. And they're like, let's just move on uh, because we don't know what to do with the fact that there's not one upright woman, but there's one upright man. And how are we going to deal with that passage? And uh, we'll have Josh up, come back up next week and teach about uh, the bitterness of this woman. Maybe not. It's a challenging passage, but it, it's going to be fun. I, I hope uh, we learn a lot from it. If, if you haven't uh, been tracking with us for the past several weeks, uh, we've talked a lot about, uh, in, the, in the past few chapters, a lot about wisdom. And and Solomon here, who's a very wise man, but, but sometimes he's kind of like the grumpy old man, and he kind of meanders and wanders, and some of the things that he says, you're like, that seems somewhat seemingly contradictory to the rest of Scripture, and, and he's describing life under the sun without sometimes this divine perspective of what God's doing through the whole Bible. So, some of the things that he says even in this chapter, you go, I, I don't know, that doesn't seem like it fits with the rest of what the Bible teaches. And so we, we have to really interpret this through contextualization, meaning we got to look at all of Scripture and, and help create a theology around what he's talking about. But he's also using a lot of Proverbs, and Proverbs are, are you know, like we read last week, uh, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. You know, and it's, so, so he uses a lot of this proverbial language, and so we're having to gain some wisdom and insight. And so today, he gives us another insight into how to live life under the sun. And if, if you're here this morning, I don't think that anything that I teach you, you're going to go, Oh, man, that's brand new. I, you know, I haven't thought of that. But I want you to see how often our practices or our way of life is out of step with what he's saying. Okay? So, kids, where are my kids at? Raise your hands. Raise your hand. All right? If you're, if you're sitting next to someone, I want you to look at the person to your side, and I want you to tell them, life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Okay. Parents, adults, all right? I want you to look at the person next to you and say, life isn't fair. All right, now, if, if you're a kid in the room, how many of you, your parents have told you life isn't fair? Anybody? Yeah. Anybody say, like your parents say, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit? Yeah, you okay, you've heard that, right? Now, parents are great, and adults are great at, at throwing this, uh, this, this theology at you. Uh, but I want you to know that your parents have just as much difficulty in believing it for themselves as they're trying to teach you. We, we have difficulty understanding we want life to be fair. And what 
Solomon is going to say right out of the gates, life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. He's going to make some observations here, which is really the core problem of the text. Anytime we, we open the Bible, we need to ask, like, what, what is this seeking to solve? What is the reality? You know, it's kind of a reality check that we need to come under a, alignment to. And the core problem that, that he observes is um, that one's actions don't necessarily have a determined or reasonable outcome. And he says it right here in verse 15. In my vain life, I've seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. And you're, you're kind of, Solomon's going, this just doesn't make sense. Life doesn't make sense. Life isn't fair. I see good people suffering, and I see evil people thriving or prolonging their life. And, and it just doesn't make sense. The formula just doesn't add up. Life isn't fair. And, and so I, I would tell you, and, and I'm going to kind of just walk through this text, and, I, and I'm going to make some observations. And the first observation is this. There are no cheat codes to the game of life. Yep. Come on. So, I'm not much of a gamer. I think back to my days when I had the original Nintendo, okay? And in Super Mario, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is how I remember it. In Super Mario, there was some code, you know, up, down, over, over, A, B, something. You typed in, and you could basically fly over the entire, like, there, there was no obstacles in your way. You would... You would rise to the top of the screen and you would just sail through life with no problems and many ways I think we as Christians we would say I'm, I'm a Christian because I want to avoid suffering in life and, and, and we may not come out and say it as clearly as that but in some ways we go it's, it's a cheat code to the game of life it's a way to avoid suffering and so if I apply this formula to my life, then I'm going to go across my life unscathed. There's going to be nothing that affects me. There's going to be nothing that challenges me, and I'm going to prolong my life, and I'm going to win at this game of life. And we do this in many ways. And before, like, I'm going to say this, and you're going to be like, what up? Are you telling us not? Hang on. you got to wait. Like, the movie's got to unfold, all right? So... The drama has to play out. Here's the thing. We do that with our diet, right? It's a formula. And if you don't believe me, everyone has a different formula as to what diet. And some of you, I get it, like, if you don't eat certain things, you'll die. That's serious, right? And, and so we want to be cautious of that. And, and you're, you're going, wisdom tells you uh, to prolong my life to not eat dairy, okay? That would be a good thing. And, and we would hope that you apply wisdom to your life. But so many times we say if I apply this diet and some of us don't, we wouldn't say we necessarily have health issues, but we're, we jump on these health fads and we go, I'm going to do this because it provides this. And I'm going to do this because it provides this. We do that with exercise, right? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I just, uh, I follow God. I'm a big believer in exercise. I think people should exercise. I think there's wisdom in exercise. But here's the thing. I know people who exercise who die in their 30s. 
it's not a guarantee. Now, I, I follow Mr. Peter Atia on social media, and Peter Atia just said the other day, he said, the good news is we have a drug that is very effective at delaying the onset of death. It creates longevity, and here's the drug. It's called exercise. And I'm like, that's awesome. And I do believe, like, over the course, if we look statistically, exercise is good. We should apply that wisdom, but it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. But I would say your life would be better if you exercise. I think your life would be better if you applied, new, you know, certain nutritional uh, wisdom. I, I also read an article. We'll, we'll kind of get off the, the diet and exercise. We'll talk about brain health. And uh, I know we got a few people here that grew up in Georgia. Maybe you can apply this. In 1998, the governor of Georgia decided that to promote brain health, they were going to send every child born home with classical music. And it would promote brain health. And they've seen that if you listen to classical music in the womb or early on in childhood, that the brain development and what it cr- happens. And, and so they're like, let's do this. This is the formula. And it's going to create children of high intellect out of Georgia, all right? I, I'm not far from you Georgia fans. I'm Texas, all right? The educational system, not so great, all right? The southern education, you know? But uh, I, I don't see, like, you know, we, we don't look, by in part, like that there's this great intellect coming out of Georgia. And so this was applied, and we all follow these certain formulas. And here's what he says. There's no formula, There's no formula. There's no guarantee. Wisdom should be applied, but no guarantee. And so Jesus taught a similar thing. If we go to Luke chapter 13, we we see this story where Jesus was was questioned because in some way we we have grown into this mindset that if someone is suffering, that it must be because of sin. And I will say that some suffering does create certain consequences, or some sin does create some sense of suffering and certain consequences, Uh, but not always. And in this case, in Luke chapter 13, when Jesus was approached, they saw, you know, certain things happening. The Tower of Siloam fell, uh, the people suffering, and, and they were, they asked Jesus, are they worse sinners? Were they worse off? Were, were they worse offenders? And Jesus said, no, that's not why they're experiencing this sense of suffering. And so, in some ways, this idea of just life doesn't make sense. I want to live in a certain way because I want to profit in a certain way. And so many of us have applied that thinking to Christianity. And if we we want to use a different word, uh, the word may appropriately be called karma. All right? You get what you get. and, And you get what you put in. I, I, I've told this story before. I was at Home Depot one time, and I was trying to load up, and, and this typically happens. If you're like this at Home Depot, we would be in great company because I'm always trying to put more in my car than it, you know actually fits, and that's how it goes. I mean, like I remember I had a little Subaru Outback, and I put 50 bags of mulch inside a Subaru Outback. I mean, you can do that, but you can't fit a 4x8 sheet of plywood in a Subaru Outback, all right? And so I, I was trying to, I was attempting to, and a guy with a truck pulled around, and he's like, hey, you want me to help you? And, I, and I'm like, well, I don't, I don't think it's going to fit. I'm going to have to come back. And he's like, well, I mean, I'll drive it to your house. 
I was like, you're going to drive it to my house? That's, that's so kind. He's like, yeah, I mean, karma, you know, never know when it might pay back. And I'm like, well, I mean, you could also wreck and die on your way home. I didn't say that, all right? But, I mean, the reality is, is that's not how it plays out. And, and what Solomon is confronting here is this idea of karma in the sense of going, we, we seek by our righteous living, which is what he's going to talk about, that we try to gain a profit or we gain the favor of God or we gain, if I do this, then God, I'm rubbing the genie lamp in the right way and God's going to do something for me or God's going to provide something for me if I just do this the right way. And that's where he gives us this instruction in this next verse. In verse 16 and 17, and this is the two typical responses to the game of life. The first one is, and I'll, I'll, I'll break it down. I'll read the text here in a second. But the first response for most of us is going, I'm going to beat the game of life. I'm going to beat it. The second response is, I'm not even going to play it. That's the two responses. And that's, that's how most of us respond to this game of life is, I'm going to beat it or I'm not going to play it. And what he leads us to in verse 16 and 17 is, there's actually a, a middle path. And he's given us some guardrails here, which he would call being overly righteous, which seems kind of crazy because you would think that someone writing in the biblical text to be like, don't be overly righteous. You'd be like, I thought we should pursue righteousness. And you should. But then he said, well, also don't be overly wicked, which kind of gives us the conclusion, well, like, can I be a little bit wicked? And, and you begin to question that. And so he gives us these guardrails in this passage. Let's read it, 16 and 17. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Okay, so righteous and wise, put an equal sign between the two of them. Those are the same thing, righteous and wise. To live in a righteous way would be to live in a, a way of wisdom. Okay, so be not too wise, be not too righteous. Why would you destroy yourself? And then he says, be not over, overly wicked, neither be a fool. So put an equal sign. To be overly wicked would mean to be foolish. Why should you die before your time? And the question there is, you know, you could be totally foolish and you would die prematurely. All right? We see a lot of, uh, I was with some guys yesterday at the trampoline park. And, you know, I'm in my 40s and there's certain things you don't do as a 40-year-old at the trampoline park. It's like, I, I ask myself, why should you die before your time? That's a good question. Guys who are approaching 40 years old, you should ask yourself that question. Why should I die before my time? Be not overly foolish, okay? Uh, it's, it's great wisdom there. And it says, it is good that you should take hold of this. And from that, and there's a lot of commentary like, what is this and that? And I would tell you, this and that is not being overly foolish, not being overly wise. It's good that you hold both of them. And it says, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Now, let's, let's talk about that because we see these two typical responses. I'm going to beat it. I'm not going to play. The I'm going to beat it is the person who goes, I, I'm going to guarantee life and longevity of life 
through my righteousness. If we want to compare this to the time of Jesus, we're talking about the Pharisees. They, they make a lot of laws, and if they follow the laws, they're gaming the system. They're figuring out a way. They're not leaning upon the righteousness of God or the holiness of God. They're, they're basing it on their, themselves, and if I do this myself, if I do that, I will gain a profit. And he's like, no, you're in that sense, you're totally avoiding. There's a middle ground. Don't be this extreme. I love the NIV version because what Lila Kate read, it said, don't give in to extremes. And we have a tendency to go to one, one or two, two different routes. The other route would be like, if I can't game the system, if, if pursuing righteousness isn't going to gain me a profit, then why be righteous? Then why don't I just do what I want to do and he doesn't give us allowance for that either. He says to, to not be overly wicked. And so to not pursue saying, you know what? I'm just not going to pursue righteousness at all. I'm just going to run the other way. Now, I will say, if you read the Old Testament, you're going to come across passages that talk about longevity of life. And I would say it's similar in nature, these passages that I'm going to read, are similar in nature that exercise promotes longevity of life. If, I mean, statistically, if we were to look, I mean, if you do five to ten minutes of cardiovascular, it increases your chance of cardiovascular risk by 30%. All right, so like I would tell you that would be a statistical thing that you should take to heart. In the same way, we read in Exodus 20, verse 12. Follow along here on the screen. It says, honor your father and mother, kiddos that your days may be long in the land and that your Lord God has given you. I always thought, like, your parents might kill you, all right? That's what you read. Honor them or they'll kill you, all right? Probably not. We love you, kiddos, okay? Exodus twenty twelve. Great practice to live by. I, I think it's going to prolong longevity of life. Exodus twenty twelve. Deuteronomy 4, 40. It says, therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong the days in the land. All right? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. My son, do not, and this is Solomon writing again. So, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they'll be added to you. And so, right out of the gates, he says, you know, this idea, we can't game the system. We can't, we can't figure out a way to create this formula to, to promote longevity of life. We might pursue righteousness, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee that we're going to live to 85, 95 years old. There are people in our world who love the Lord Jesus who are suffering right now in our world. And so it's, it's not this, this given promise. I mean, it is something that we should lean into, and that's why... In the sense of going like, well, then why pursue righteousness is where he's going to go. He's saying, but don't give up on the game. Don't, don't, don't just throw in the towel and say, I'm just not going to play the game. Where does he go in this? He, he gives some correction. And he talks about this idea of wisdom. As we read in verse 19. Actually, let me jump back. I totally forgot a piece. I want to talk about fearing God. Okay? I got ahead of myself. Fearing God. He says that the person who fears God will, will be able to navigate, will keep it between the lines. What I'm saying is 
you're not going to be running over here into the guardrail into like being too overly righteous. And you're not going to be over here in, in, on the right side running into being overly wicked. It says, the person who fears God will, will keep you from both extremes. And I, I want to explain that really practically. To fear God means to truly know, experience Him in His holiness. God is holy. Now, when I appropriately fear God and I go, God is holy, it keeps me from these extremes. Here's why. When I recognize the holiness and perfection of God, I go, there's no way I can be over there. Like, I could never be so righteous that I was going to figure out how to game this to be perfect. I'm like, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever gotten angry with someone? Have you ever honked your horn in anger? All right, and all of us are like, yeah. You ever slammed your finger and said a word you shouldn't have? I mean, we can all say so many things where we fall short of the glory of God. We can never match up to his holiness. And so to, to keep God in appropriate fear and to see him in his holiness goes, well, I'm gonna avoid that side. But also to see him and have appropriate fear and know him in his holiness keeps me from veering off to the right and running in the ditch, being overly wicked, because I go, God takes sin seriously. And so when I have an appropriate view of God and this appropriate fear of God, it keeps me in that middle, right in between the lines where he desires us to be. Okay? Now I move on. But don't give up on the game. And that's where he goes, don't be overly righteous. Don't, don't be overly wise. But you should still pursue wisdom. And he, and, he, and he brings this back. He's like, don't give up on the game. You should still pursue wisdom in the sense of going like, you should still pursue exercise. You should still eat a diet that, that doesn't consist of a lot of sugar. All right? And clog your arteries and die early and destroy yourself. All right? There, there are some wise practices that you should, should follow. And so he tells you here, this, this idea of not giving up on wisdom in verse 19. He says, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. And so you can imagine 10 rulers that are in a city. There's a lot of power in 10 rulers in a city. All right, I think we're all following what's happening in Ukraine. We look at the president and I think many of us are modeling, like we're looking at him as like, man, he's a model of of courageous leadership. We, we look at, you know, someone who's not willing to, to you know, totally remove himself, but he's, he's, provi- he's a leader. And I look at that and I go, 10, 10 people like him. And it says, the wisdom of, of a wise person is far greater. And so he uses this kind of proverb to just lean us in to go and to still pursue wisdom. We should still, and looking at the passage where I said before that being overly righteous and wise, those are equal, meaning that we should still pursue righteousness. And I think that's what this text leads us to, is if we look at this problem, if we go, we can't game the system, if we can't figure it out, if the righteous still die, then why be righteous? And we're going to get there. I want to solve that problem for us this morning. He goes on. In verse 20, it says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who, who does good and never sins. And, and it's just evidence here that this, this idea of, that's all of us. All of us in this passage, there is not a righteous man. And just to give an explanation of that, and I love verse 21 is evidence of 20. Okay? So if you read this passage, 
verse 21 is evidence of 20. There is none who are righteous. There's not a righteous man who does good and never sins. And if you've been a follower of Jesus, you go, well, what about Jesus? Yeah, true, we're going to get there. We've got to get to Jesus in this passage. But it says, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. And it's, it's this idea of eavesdropping, all right? So you're listening in, and you're like, oh, man, he's talking bad about me. And we can get all bent out of shape, right? And we want to come down on that person, like, man, why in the world would you, you talk bad about me? And we want to confront him. And what does he say? He's actually moving us, rather than confronting the person, he says, confront your own sin. It goes in verse 21, your heart knows. Basically, in the depths of your soul, you know how many times you yourself have cursed others. And it's this idea of going, he's exposing our sin. He's exposing this idea of going, when we think, I'm going, I'm just going to, I'm going to pursue righteousness. I'm going to game the system. He's like, it's not going to work. You're not going to do it. And just think about how many times you've heard your, your friend or your person or person bad-mouthing you or talking bad behind your back and how many times, and, and again, this is the issue that he chose to surface. We could surface many sins where we go, we, we look at how our neighbor has sinned against us and we fail to see our own sin. We fail, like we would say, maybe I'm the only one who is righteous. No, you know, like we would read verse 19 and and, and that would speak to, or verse 20, surely there's not a righteous man on earth but Justin Bendel. And every one of you are like, false, heretic, right? All right. I hope you are, all right? Because your pastor's not perfect. Neither are the other pastors. Neither are any of us sitting in this room. All of us are sinners. All of us come. We all fall short of the glory of God. He's given us a mark, and we fall short of that mark. And, and that's true about every single one of us. And so he says in this passage that your attitude towards others should be influenced by your awareness of your own sinfulness. Give people grace. I I think so often we live in a context where we want to call out every single person on their sin and we fail to see our own. And I'm like, listen, maybe this would be a good practice if you want to post on social media about how someone else has fallen short, lead out by calling your own areas of falling short, and then you can call out theirs. And we won't do it because we won't come to this place of vulnerability where we own our sin, where we truly say, you know what, that, that's true about me. And there's no way I could ever match up to the righteousness. There's no way I could game the system. But I also want to live in a wise way. I want to live in a way that doesn't just quit the game or throw in the towel, I want to keep playing. So how do I do that? Well, what he does is he seeks. And, and seeking is how we play the game. Seeking is part of the game. I was with a, a couple uh, from our church out at dinner this past week, and uh, they brought up an article by another pastor and a, a, someone who is well-respected and someone that that honestly, I've learned a lot from and would encourage you to learn a lot from. And they said, hey, he wrote on suffering, and I think it, it's contradictory to what we taught last week. And I was like, huh, I, I should go home and read that article. And so I did. And so uh, the next morning I woke up, I read the article, and I told them, I was like, hey, 
I agree. I think it was contradictory to what we taught last week. Who's right? Were we right or is he right? And I'm like, I think we're both right because I think neither one of us actually know. And that's the point of the text is he's going to seek out how this world works and the idea of suffering and how you game the system. And if you live this way, does it produce these results? And if you choose not to live this way, is it going to actually create longevity of life? And how do we play in this? And, and here's what he says. Verse 23. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. That which has been far off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and search out and seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I'm going to tell you what he found but he didn't find out the answer to his question. He, he's like, I, I, I sought it. I, I, I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to understand how the world works. And I, I don't have a great answer. And I think that's wisdom from Solomon for us today. Because there's a lot of things that we're never going to be able to answer. And I think in a lot of places, when you walk into the church and you walk in, you, it's like, hey, I want an answer for this. And I'm telling you, there's some things that an infinite God and we just don't understand. But here's what I would tell you, and, and I thought this was encouraging as I read this week. Jackie Hill Perry, who uh, she spoke at the IF gathering this, this past weekend, she said this this past week, and I found this encouraging. While reading the Psalms, I'm struck by how often God is questioned. Why is he allowing this? Why has he forsaken that? And she said, suffering makes you curious. And I love that about Solomon because I think Solomon is, is curious. He's, he's searched out all of life and all of life is, is proving meaningless, vanity. And he, in some ways he's like, what is, the, what is the purpose in all this? And he's, he's gotten curious and he said, she finished by saying this, even Jesus in his dying hour asked that question. Why are you forsaking me? And so I think it's appropriate for, for you and I in the same way that Solomon is seeking out, trying to find answers. He doesn't throw in the towel. He doesn't quit on this game of life. He just continues to get curious and continues to seek God and ask God. And I would just say, what is it? That's simply, it's just prayer. It's just coming to God with your needs, with your longings, with your suffering, and saying, why, God? Why? Here's some of the discoveries. Now, these sound alarming, okay? And there's a lot of people that want to jump in and be like, you know, Solomon was a misogynist, and, uh, you know, he's writing to a group of men, and so, like, you know, he's exaggerating this passage. I can tell you, I don't know. Joshua's going to speak on it next week. He's not really. But here's what, what I do want to get us to the conclusion of. Here's what he found. Verse 26, he said, And I find something more bitter than death, the woman. Oh, that's rough. Whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher. While adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, 
which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. He searches and he says, one man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See this alone, I have found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. And we might draw a lot of conclusions from this and we go, you know what? That just tells you that men are more righteous than women, right? The Bible doesn't teach that, all right? That's baloney. Equally valued. That's the truth, and that's the contextualization. If we take this into the larger portion of the Bible, God created man and woman, and he said they were good. And that's this passage is what he looks at, is he goes, God made man and women upright. He, he made them in a way, and he said it is good. The, the more alarming thing that I think that this draws us to is the fact that amongst all men and women and amongst the thousand people that he searched out, he only found one. Only one. See, the problem isn't with men and the problem isn't with women. The problem is with mankind is that all of us have fallen short. All of us have not been able to pursue righteousness in, in the way that, that, that God desires. He made man upright, but we have sought out many schemes. And this idea of, of seeking out many schemes is we've gone astray. He's given us a pattern and a direction and a course to which to live our life by, but we've gotten off course. We've sought out our own ways. We've all gone astray, as Isaiah teaches. And here's what I would say in kind of the closing is, you can't blame God for your sin, but you can bless God for your salvation. You can't blame God for your sin. God made you upright, and you have chosen many schemes. But you can bless God for your salvation. And so what I would say in that is to answer the question if we can't game the system, if we look at this whole idea of life and we go, you know, when, when we see in my vain life, I've seen everything, there's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and a wicked man who prolongs his life, then why not just, just don't play the game? It's because God enters into the game through the person of Jesus and he redeems us from our sin. If we want to say today life isn't fair, the only person who is able to say life isn't fair, is Jesus. Because when we read verse 15, we want to apply that to us, when in reality that's applied to Jesus. In my vain life, I've seen everything. There is a righteous man, and there's only one person who's ever been righteous, and his name is Jesus. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. He died. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life. And I go, is that not the story of the gospel? Right here in verse 15 is the gospel message that those who pursue wickedness are able to prolong their life. How? Because of Jesus. It's the gospel. And this is where he gets into chapter 8. Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation? We need the wisdom of God to understand this. We need his wisdom to pursue his ways. When we look at this and go, why pursue righteousness? We pursue righteousness because the person who was actually righteous took on what we deserve, our punishment. He took on our pain. He went to the cross. 
He took on our sins. He was beaten. He was bloodied. He was marred beyond recognition. Everything we deserve. Life isn't fair. And that's good news. It's good news that it isn't fair. It's good news that we don't get what we deserve because if we got what we deserve, we w- it would be unbearable. What we see in this passage, why pursue righteousness? Because the man who was truly righteous pursued you. He pursued you. I'll close with this passage, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8. I was, uh, I was in my equip group this week and uh, we... We were reading through the gospel-centered life, and um, as we were reading, we talked about like what creates growth, what creates spiritual change in a person, why in some ways pursue righteousness. And I, I want to teach it from this passage, and it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, that we would become like him. This is how we are sanctified, okay? It says, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. And then it goes on, it says, and so this is what would happen in us for this very reason. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Don't go to the next verse yet. I'm gonna, I wanna talk about this for just a second. For if these qualities are yours in increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think anyone here this morning would come in and say, you know what, I want to be ineffective and unfruitful. I think most of us are here this morning because we want to be effective. We want to be fruitful in our Christian life. We want to take on the divine nature. We want to become more like Jesus. And so we, we pursue righteousness. And the question is, is if that's true, then why do so many of us struggle with actually becoming like Christ? Why do so many of us fail to... to to actually be fruitful and effective in our Christian life. And that's what I would say, like, the overarching message of this passage is we have a game to play. We, we're in this game called life, and we're to pursue righteousness. We're to be effective and fruitful in our life. Just because our life may be taken early, it doesn't mean that we don't keep pursuing. Why? Why? What keeps you? And, and so we spent some time around the table and we just said, what are some things that keep us from truly growing into the image of Jesus? What are some things that keep us? And we're like, well, you know, time. Like we don't have the time to do it. Or maybe we don't have anyone to show us how. Or maybe we haven't had a mentor or someone disciple us. Verse 9 is the reason why. Here's what it says. For whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. That's the point. That's the point. The reason we pursue righteousness, the reason we don't pursue righteousness is because we're blind. We've forgotten that we've been cleansed from our sins. And so I told our guys at our equip group this week, I said, hey, every Sunday we come together, we take communion together, and it's a reminder that we've been cleansed from our sins. Communion is the way we grow. Have you ever thought about that? That coming and receiving communion 
here on, on Sunday morning that that's how you grow in your faith. That's how you are sanctified. That's how you're transformed into the divine nature. That we come because it's a reminder that we've been cleansed. It's a reminder that the righteous person died and he rose again. And the wicked person's life is prolonged because we've been forgiven. And so I hope this morning that we would just come to this point of going like, why play? Why pursue righteousness? Is that in the next few moments as we sing, as we partake in communion, as we rejoice, that you would be reminded, even as we prayed this morning, we look out and the ground is as white as snow, that you would remember your life, that although our sins be like scarlet, that he makes them white as snow, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, that he pursues us, he invites us into relationship, and he changes us. Don't be blind of that this morning. We have an opportunity. This is a gift from the Lord this morning that we get to come and be reminded of that. We get to be reminded of the gospel. We get to be reminded of why we should pursue righteousness because we have been cleansed from our sin. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Your, Your gift of grace isn't fair. It's a gift. We Thank you that we're not getting what we deserve, that you, you give us what we don't deserve. You, you take on what we do deserve. And, and Lord, we thank you for your life. We thank you for your righteousness. Would you help us to have an appropriate fear of the Lord, seeing you in perfect righteousness and holiness, that, that it would keep us from extremes, that it would keep us from seeking to be overly righteous in and of our own strength, and it would keep us from being overly foolish and pursuing unrighteousness. Lord, that you would help us to walk in step with you, to know your ways, and to pursue you because we love you, because you gave us your life. So Lord, I pray in the next few moments that it's an opportunity that you would remove the scales from our eyes, that you would help us not just know in our heads that we're forgiven, but you would help us truly live and believe and know that we're forgiven. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we uh, stand and as we